Hey, y'all, I wanted to take a second before we get into this episode to remind you that the show is also available on YouTube. And starting from episode number 101, it's all in 4K. I'm trying to make the best video podcast I can, so definitely check it out and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Go to youtube.com slash at progressionspod or hit the link in the show notes. If you're not getting enough progressions and you want to get even more thoughts on creativity, productivity, and growth in music, then you should sign up for my newsletter. You'll find a brief article in each monthly edition as well as updates on progressions and myself. I'm also sharing some workflow hacks and links to stuff that I found interesting or helpful. So it should be fun. If you want to stay up to date on the latest and get all the bonus stuff, go to travisferrance.com slash subscribe or click the link in the show notes. Hey, welcome to Progression, success in the music industry. I'm your host, Travis Ferrance, and this is episode number 39. Before we get into today's interview, which is a fun one, full of uh, great tips, at least I think so, I wanted to talk about the importance of celebrating the little daily wins. Up until now, I've spent a lot of time on this show talking about breaking your big goals and ideas down into small, actionable tasks. And I've talked a lot about the compound effect of all these small actions building up to project you way past your goals. But here's something we don't talk about much. The reality of not hitting your goals, of not achieving your idea of success, and of not getting your big idea out into the world. See, constantly setting big goals for yourself and not hitting them is stressful, and sometimes even a source of depression for people. If you've got lofty goals, but you don't know what steps to take to get there, then let's be honest, you're likely not going to hit them. And that hurts. It's so tough. The feeling of constant failure or that the goal line never seems to be getting any closer can really wear you down. It's one of the reasons that I think many people quit the music industry, and it's exactly why you can't dwell over every negative event. I actually have kind of a running joke with a few friends of mine that really isn't a joke, it's semi-rooted in reality. We've started to describe getting certain gigs in music as being, quote, the last person standing. The idea that eventually all the gigs you've ever dreamed of will be yours because you didn't quit and others did. It's not exactly true, but it sure ain't false either. To go back into an idea from last week's Atomic Habits conversation, see, I told you all I love that book and that we'd continue to talk about it. Early in the book, James talks about what he calls the valley of disappointment. People expect change to happen linearly, a straight upward trending line. Time put in yields equal progress made. This is not the way change in progress happens, though. It could take you months or years to actually see the results of all the hard work that you're putting in right now. So in actuality, change moves a bit more like an exponential curve. Change in progress stays fairly flat for much longer and then eventually starts to curve upward at a much more intense rate. This lull in upward progress is what James calls the Valley of Disappointment. This is where you feel like everything you're doing isn't working. It's when you'll start to second-guess your choices and maybe even consider turning back. This leads to the last-person-standing aspect that I mentioned before. It will take you far longer to achieve the success you are shooting for than you think it will. And so, this brings us all the way back to what I initially started with. Celebrating the little wins. It's a long journey, and the progress you're making every day is difficult to see when you're in the thick of it. One day, you'll look back and you'll see the big turning points and the key moments, the way the guests on this show can. But until that day comes, you need to celebrate your daily victories. Don't sulk in your defeats and your setbacks. Here's a few suggestions, super easy ones. Try getting a streak going with a habit or a daily task. 
Mark an X on the calendar every day you do it. Now, once you get three or four in a row, you'll be encouraged to celebrate the streak and to keep it alive. Or set one main priority task for the day. I've personally set a top priority task every day for months now. Closing that task out and erasing it from the whiteboard at the end of every day is super satisfying. I get to celebrate that win, and no matter what else happened in the day, I know that I achieved the one thing that I set out to. And lots of things can fall into this category of daily wins. Stuff like getting a few extra followers on your socials, or finishing your album art, maybe getting a response from a playlist curator, or building a new production template, or getting a message from a fan. All of these things are worth celebrating because these are the things that are leading you further down your path to success. Without these daily wins, you'll never reach your goal. So you can't let them be taken for granted. They are like your progress bar. If you focus too much on the furthest reaches of your goals, you could unknowingly get stuck in the valley of disappointment and turn back before you're able to reap the rewards of your hard work. So in closing, use your big goals as your compass and celebrate all the small victories along the journey. Those are the moments that will keep you going and ultimately lead you to your success. Today's guest is mastering engineer, podcast host, software developer, and creative business coach, Chris Graham. Chris is a co-creator and a host of the Six Figure Home Studio podcast, which became wildly successful because of its unique business-focused approach to the recording industry. After years developing a thriving online mastering business and launching the podcast, Chris began coaching other professionals on some of the best practices that helped his various endeavors succeed. And let's not forget to mention his automated STEM bouncing software called Bounce Butler. So welcome to the show, Chris Graham. Hey, Chris, how are you? That was the best bio I've ever heard of myself. <laughs> Thank you. No problem. I, you know, I worked on it for hours. Well, you hours. killed it. It was like, I'm like, ah, oh, that, that sums it all. But I should copy and paste that into my bio on my website. I'll, I'll send it to you. Thank Dude, you. The mustache. I mean, I wanted to bring it up before we started, but you can only talk about a mustache once. I love it. It's true. Thank you, sir. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've always wanted one. And uh, I figured now is the time to go. And uh, what to my wondering eyes did appear, but a very thick, very dark mustache with a single gray hair. So <laughs> I'm, I'm loving it. It's, it's cozy. It's soft. I like it. It's good. I don't know. Has it been almost a year since I, uh, we chatted last? It can't be that long. But I mean, it, it was 2020 slash 2021. So time. Yeah, it was like November, maybe October or somewhere. That sounds there. about right. Yeah, we'll go with that. How you been? I've been good, man. I have many times wished that I was in the neighborhood out in uh, L.A. with you, man. It's all winter long. You know, we're basically trapped here in Ohio, and Ohio's not a good place to be trapped in the wintertime. <laughs> and totally. uh, I'm used to, like, making all these L.A. trips during the winter. And I soon. Mean, I would have liked we... to have seen you. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll be here. I'm not going anywhere. But, yeah, dude, thank you so much for coming on and taking the time. I wanted to say that your podcast, Six Figure Home Studio, uh, along with a couple others, were inspirations for why I started a show. So That's awesome, man. You guys were killing it, and I, I stole a lot of tricks from your show. It's a lot of fun, man. If you can get into, if, you, if the ball starts to roll down the hill with a podcast, dude, it's so fun. It's hard to yeah. get the ball to start rolling downhill, but once it starts, man, it's a wild ride. It's so fun. I've been enjoying it, man. I'm glad, uh, I'm, I'm glad I did it. So let's talk Six Figure Home Studios on hiatus right now you guys are transitioning it to six figure creative can we talk about that or is that under wraps what's what's going on yeah no no we're we're getting ready to launch very oh. very soon we've already got three episodes recorded in the can i should be working on scheduling guests right now <laughs> 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 we're getting there making a lot of progress on that but yeah 
So our thought, you know, we launched a six-figure home studio, and my vision was I'll get a couple customers off of sharing what I've learned about running a small business that's in the recording space. But mostly, I just want to hang out with Brian. Like, <laughs> it, it was seriously like, how could I justify hanging out with this guy every single week for a few hours so that, like, I don't feel guilty? And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll probably get a customer or two off of it. And then when it took off, you would have think that, like, you know, me as some business coachy, guru-y person that I would have like really planned it out. Brian did all of that. I had no idea what I was signing up for. I just thought like, this would be fun. We'll get some listeners, but we'll never be as big as our friends' podcasts. And crazy. Since you brought it up, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to ask what the beginning of that was like. Like, when did things start to snowball? Really, I just want to compare myself to see how I'm doing. But Dude, um, yeah, I am so curious to what that experience was like. It was really strange. Like, if I remember correctly, Brian and I work really well together as far as like collaborating on creative ideas. And we're good because the illustration I like to use is like, we're Bert and Ernie. I'm Ernie. He's Bert. He's the straight guy. I'm the goofball. And <laughs> the entertainment comes from, I think, in a lot of ways, him trying to contain all the chaos. Yeah. <laughs> right. When we first started out, it was. You know, like I, I was, I didn't even buy a podcasting mic until we had done three episodes. I was just like, oh, I've got this condenser, or whatever, I'll be fine. And it sounded okay, but it doesn't work anywhere near as well as like, you know, what you're using, SM7B or an RE20 that I've got over here. So we posted on the podcast three episodes and we really, really clearly were like, hey, if you like this, write a review. That's the only way we'll keep doing this. We don't want to waste anybody's time. And we launched, and I'll never forget, like, Brian and I met maybe like a day or two after the launch, and I hadn't paid any attention to what had happened. And Brian was like, hey, we have 77 five-star reviews. And I was like, what <laughs> are you taught? That's a lot of reviews for any podcast, yeah. let alone like our first week. And, you know, it's weird because it's not that our podcast was huge, it's that our fans were so thirsty for business knowledge about the recording industry. Oh, and there, yeah. There's nowhere to get it. That's right. So, yeah, that started. And then, like, people started, like, hitting me up on Instagram and Facebook and, like, asking me out to lunch and stuff. And then it just sort of got crazier and crazier and crazier. And then right before the, the pandemic hit, it was just this crazy thing of, like, I was getting fan mail every day. And, like... That's weird. It was really... <laughs> it it. Can I cuss on your show? Is that okay? Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. It, it fucked me up a little bit. <laughs> it, I was not ready for that. And like, I would go out to concerts and stuff here in Columbus and I'd get recognized like every time. And I was like, what the, f this is really weird. It was just strange, man. You know, all these people that knew all this stuff about me, but I didn't know anything about them. Right. It was a really bizarre thing. I, I think for me, like, I want to try to avoid this topic as much as possible, but I think it's important to figure out where, for me to, to answer your question, is for me, I didn't know it until last year, but I got diagnosed with PTSD. I had some really, really messed up childhood stuff that I had repressed. And uh, when the podcast took off, it was a dangerous combination because that sort of success is supposed to make you feel safer, but I didn't feel any safer. My PTSD was still undiagnosed and still raging in the background. And so it was really confusing to be like, I'm 
feeling really good about all these areas I'm having success in right now, but I'm still not sleeping well at night. I'm still yeah. having nightmares and I'm still like, it's gotten worse if anything. And, you know, thank God I'm, I'm over that now. Like That's I'm good. doing fantastically well, that, better than I've ever done in my entire life by far. That's awesome. And we're getting ready to relaunch. And, and sort of our thought was, I think there's sort of two questions baked into here, but sort of our thought was we noticed that like so many people that listen to our show don't work in recording studios and that of our core audience that does work in recording studios, that practically all of their friends are some sort of creative freelancer. They yeah. provide some sort of creative service. Like they're like a band merch design guy or they're um, a graphic design guy or they're an illustrator or they're a photographer or they're a videographer. It was just all these people that our audience knew and were like, well, what if our audience was just creative freelancers? So it doesn't matter what you do, but if it's a creative service that you are offering to somebody else, then we want to talk about growing that business and we want to focus just on that. And so like we were literally like scrambling for an idea for an episode one day. And I was like, dude, what if we re we had talked about relaunching a couple of times, but I just sort of on a whim with no thought to it, I was like, what if we just relaunched this six figure creative? And I Googled it and the domain was available. And Brian and I were like, yes. Done. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, it, it's kind of a weird, scary time right now because we're getting ready to relaunch. It's either going to totally fail or it's going to do what the last thing did and be like a hundred times beyond what I imagined it would be. So we're sort of waiting around to see that. But I've started to sort of branch out into other creative fields. When I started getting the PTSD diagnosis, I got back into photography. I used to be a film photographer. Yeah, I saw you've been doing a bunch of that. Dude, yeah, it's been so fun. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shout him out. Uh, my homeboys over at Sigma Photo uh, <laughs> and I are working on some projects together and they've been been sending me some some gear and cool. that's been life-changing i've never fallen in love with a piece of gear as much as i have with their sigma fpl <laughs> bitch it's amazing that's right um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's awesome you know listening to you guys kind of progress through that reflection is probably huge for you like to know when to like tack like that and understand that there's an opportunity to advance into a larger audience and even to yeah. find the initial niche of recording studio and to offer recording studio people business thoughts instead of more gear talk, I think is cool. Did you guys spend a lot of time like just brainstorming oh, yeah. and reflecting on like what's working and what's not working? Well, it started like I went down and Brian and I had become friends through our mastermind group. And I went down to Nashville a couple of years ago and he had invited me to stay at his place. And I was a total coffee snob at the time. And, uh, I had like brought beans I had roasted by hand myself and I like woke up early and ground them by hand and like made <laughs> Brian this ridiculously good cup of coffee, way better than you could get at 99.9% .9 of coffee shops. And coffee, like the best coffee you've ever had in your life is as simple as the freshness of the beans. Yeah. That was it. It's like air press and freshness of the beans. So I made Brian a cup of coffee. We fell in love. <laughs> And then he invited me to do a show and we started planning out like, you know, we should do this and we shouldn't do that. Initially, I was supposed to drive down and we were going to record all the episodes in person. And I was like, yeah, let's try it remote first and just see how that goes. And I'm stuck with it. And it's crazy. If you would have driven down there, you guys would have been batch recording like smaller seasons and you wouldn't have had that weekly consistency because you guys did every week for 
what, three years? Yeah, I don't think, yeah, I don't think it's inconsistent. Yeah, it's been about three years or so. Yeah, I just, I feel like once people know that like, uh, like you guys were, was it Tuesday? Is that when you guys came out? The show? Yep. Whatever. What, you just, I know that when I go for my run, like I know what shows I listen to that came out and I listen to them on that morning, you know? So it's like when they go a couple of weeks without one, there's always, you know, head scratcher. Yeah. So yeah, going remote was the move because you would have been driving down there all the time. Yeah. Which I but, mean, so I'm, I'm excited, man. It was podcasting is such an amazing journey because it's, it's a license. I feel like for YouTubers, I would imagine that when you're running out and trying to make stuff with other people, that it's challenging because you're constantly thinking about content. What can we do oh, yeah. that's crazy and it'd be entertaining? And with podcasting, it's nice because the format drives a conversation. Like, I just want to have conversations with everybody. And right. be like, well, this is our topic. We need to stay on topic. Really is a nice way to, to build a relationship with somebody. Yeah. Because you're not worried about like, uh, should I bring this up or not? Or should I bring that up or not? Or should we talk about this thing? Well, we have really clear defined things about what we do and do not talk about. And it just makes for a nice conversation. Yeah, I agree. I've, I've been, enjoyed getting to know a bunch of people. And I've stayed in touch with a lot of, a lot of people that I've had on the show. That's awesome. So it's, it's been a great time. But we have to talk about mastering a little bit. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. So give us like the one, two-minute version, because I know you've told your story about launching your online mastering and how you made that successful various times. And I'll, I'll drop some links to episodes of Six Figure Home Studio so you don't have to do the, the, whole, the whole spiel. How did you go from Ohio remote mastering to being busy and busy and busy and then having to build out all these systems, which I'd also love to talk about. Yeah. What, so what was that like? Here's what I would say with that. Um, and I'm learning this myself right now over the course of the last year. I am what you might call an idiot savant. <laughs> um, my my PTSD, it's not like PTSD light. It's something called complex PTSD. It's, it's intense. Uh, it's something that I struggle with every day. And as a result of that struggle, it really pushed me to never want to have an employer, um, to never have to trust an employer. And it also put me in scenarios where if I was having PTSD issues without a really rigid system, I just I couldn't I couldn't be productive. I, I would be productive, but it would like destroy me uh, while I was at it. So I, I learned how to build all these systems simply because I didn't have any choice. And again, like I didn't have a diagnosed disability at the time, but I just knew like there are certain scenarios work related wise that I just don't thrive in and others that I do great in. I mean, the big thing was I came up with an idea for a website and it's got a before and after player. You select the genre of music you want to hear a sample of, and then you can hear it switch back and forth between unmastered and mastered. And at the time, nobody had ever come up with this before. Like I invented it and then I hired a developer and we built it and, uh, integrated into the website and the whole nine yards. And then I met with a buddy. He recommended, he was like a business professor. He like teaches entrepreneurial stuff. And he recommended a book called The Ultimate Guide to Google AdWords. And this is years ago. This is like 2008, probably 2009. And Google AdWords, it's now called Google Ads. But basically, you know, when you search for something and you see those sponsored ads in the top, that's, those, that's Google Ads. So he was like, yeah, my brother's really into this guy. You should read this book. I read it. And then I started running ads on Google. And I started really small. Like I think my budget was $150 a month when I first started running these ads. 
And within a couple of days, a guy named Greg emailed me and we got on the phone and Greg sent me a check for 350 bucks, master's record. And Greg didn't know anybody that I knew. We had no mutual friends. I'll never forget closing that sale because I realized, oh my gosh, I bought traffic on Google from people that were searching for mastering that took them to my website where I explained in a fun, concise, quick way what mastering is. And then they hired me and that was enough. And so I started taking money and putting it into more ads and eventually got up to spending 5,000 bucks a month on ads. And I since spend almost nothing now. I was still spending a crap load when the podcast launched and it became evident pretty quickly that it was like, uh, this is a way better way to advertise than Google ads because the only upfront investment I have is time, right? It's fun time. So there's no investment. So yeah. And I just, just kind of went from there, man. It, it was, it was really about figuring out how to explain what I did in a unique way and then finding a way to inform people of that. And I think for most people, most of your listeners, they assume if I just have something unique about me, I'm really talented or I do something in a certain way, you got to be pretty unique for that to just spread like wildfire quickly yeah. via the grapevine. So there's, there's two components there. Will it spread via the grapevine, word of mouth, and how quickly will it spread? Yeah. And most people don't take this into account, but the grapevine's great. You should absolutely be getting word of mouth business. But the problem is to start a business on word of mouth alone takes a very long time, most of the time, unless your branding is absolutely incredible and your offering is absolutely incredible. And 99% of people, it's not. It's their first business or you know they're new at it. And so they don't jump out in front and they just, it's this, if you build it, they will come mentality. I'm yeah. awesome at what I do. Therefore, people will find out and will hire me. And I think in, in that situation, one of the, the nice things about PTSD is it's really made me pay attention to my subconscious. It's made me pay attention to, I feel this way, but why do I feel this way? And should I give credence to my feelings right now? Or should I challenge them and be like, well, why do you actually, oh crap, that's not me. That's related to something I need to work out in therapy. But yeah, so I think for most people, when they start a business like this, that if you build a they will come mentality is really related to, I want someone to tell me that somebody else told them about me because that will feel validating. Yeah, right. This is always a level. But you know what's more valid? Validation. A profitable business. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's so much more validating. And not that like I'm telling everybody should sell out, but there's this amazing, it is so fun. It's probably the, the some of the most creatively satisfying work I've ever done is figuring out like, how do I get people to come to my website and hire me to do a thing for them? That's a creative endeavor. And in the same way, how do you mix a song to sound great or master a song to sound great or write a song? It's just, it's creativity applied strategically. Totally. People don't think of that as creative, but it has to be unique. It has to stick out. It yeah. has to work, you know? And It doesn't have if, to be creative, but if it's not creative, it won't be successful. Yeah, it's got to be, it's got to be different. You know, it has to help you stand out. If you're enjoying this episode, then please consider pulling your phone out, tapping that share button, and sending this to one person that you think would enjoy it. Obviously, it would be huge for me, but it could be even more game-changing for that person. You just never know what can inspire or help someone else out.
I want to take a second to tell you about Secret Sonics, a podcast by Ben Wallach and Carl Bonner. Secret Sonics is one of my favorite shows, and it's now double amazing with the addition of Carl Bonner as a co-host. Ben and Carl have teamed up to discuss the real-world trials and triumphs of music production. They cover it all from mixing and studio tricks to branding and mindsets. If you're a fan of progressions, you'll be a fan of Secret Sonics. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts or hit the link in the show notes. I love that you mentioned the uh, if they build it or if I build it, they will come because I feel like that is such a problem in the music industry in particular. I mean, you've interacted with more creatives recently. Maybe it's a creative thing in general, but people love to think that they are the greatest thing. They know that they're good at their job and that people will find them. And it's not, it's not true. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, I hate to say it. it it's you have to do something. It's funny because my story, I, I, I've contradicted myself on your show already. The podcast, <laughs> we built it and they came. Yes. Like, yeah, I guess so. But the mastering company, if I had built it, they wouldn't have come because I was jumping into a commodity. I was selling something that you can get somewhere else. So like a commodity, I can get my gas at BP or Shell or Exxon. I don't really care where I get it. Yeah. They're all going to cost about the same. Mastering is tricky because there's a lot of other people out there that can master. And so what I had to do to be different was I had to explain it in a way that nobody else was explaining it. And then I had to get it in front of people that needed to explain to them. Yeah. With the podcast, we were first. I think right. we're still first. I, I don't even know if there's a second at this point of like a business resource that's specific to this type of freelancer. And if you find, I like to call that a soft spot in the market. If you find a soft spot in the market where nobody else is there, but there's massive demand, that's where you can see fast growth. That's where you can yeah. get the biggest opportunity, where you do something that's so unique and so memorable. And I think most importantly, transmittable. Most people, I think, when, when they're growing a business in audio, it's like, well, you know, I've, I'm into warm tones and I use analog gear and uh, I really like uh, this brand of mixer and blah, blah, blah. And I do editing and I can mix drums and I can do vocals. And, I can, and they just start rattling off all these things. And it's like if you're in an elevator – even with a perfect potential customer and you go on that rant as the elevator goes up and you've got until the door opens to finish your rant they they don't give a shit <laughs> they don't care they are not going to ask for your business card and if they do they're not going to follow up with you and even if they do follow up with you they know they can get the same deal somewhere else maybe even cheaper so they're going to push you around because you're a commodity and it's just not enticing. But on the flip side of the coin, I can't take any credit for this. This is all Brian that came up with this, my co-host. If I'm in an elevator and I meet somebody who makes records for a living and I say, oh, I've got a podcast called The Six Figure Home Studio. We're the number one business resource in the recording studio world. I don't have to talk at all anymore. They're going to go check out that podcast. Yeah. But because it's admittable. I think for a lot of people, when they're growing these businesses and building these businesses, that if you build it, they will come is that being unique doesn't matter that having a great elevator pitch doesn't matter, that what everybody else on the planet doesn't matter, and that you have to be cheap to compete. And yeah. you know, it was the weirdest thing. Like when, I, when the podcast launched, I started getting into business coaching. And we've worked together. It was great. I love you, man. Yeah. We had a great time. Yeah. No, totally. I'm expensive as shit, though. Like, <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's an obnoxious, em- embarrassing fee that I charge. But I do it because I'm... I'm, I'm kind of out here on my own. There are not a lot of people that have made a name for themselves as a business expert in this field. Yeah. I think, A, I believe that 
investing in your own personal growth is huge and that everybody should be willing to do that and it should be worth money. But the other thing is you need someone to be invested. Literally, they need to be invested because if you're cheap, let's say you're, let's say you're $10 a month and you get to talk to this person for five hours or whatever it is. That's only 10 bucks. It's like going to get two coffees. Like it, it needs to hurt so that somebody is willing to do the work. When you're talking about growth-oriented things or education or courses, there's definitely a price point where you get people that are serious and people that aren't. And I think a lot of people need to realize that you got to pay for, you have to pay for growth and education and you're going to have to pay a fair rate for it too because yeah. people want to work with people that are serious. Well, you and know? there's a couple things baked into that and this is becoming a pitch, not just, but this is becoming a pitch for, for hiring a coach. Number one, Coach knows things that you don't. Number two, a good coach, when you pay them money, it's an incentive for it to work. As soon as somebody pays me my coaching fee, they want to extract value out of that. And they know that if they don't, they'll feel like crap. So they'll, they'll go the extra mile. They'll push a little harder than they would if they, if it hadn't been expensive. And so it's funny, like the fact that I'm expensive makes me much more successful as it makes my clients more successful and therefore me, I guess, um, because it's expensive. Yeah. Well, say if you think about you're going to buy a piece of gear, you're like, well, if I mix three records, I'll pay for this gear or whatever it is. It's the same way. There's, there's an ROI on your investment and you just have to make sure that you, you hit that. Exactly. You know, since we're on the business coaching thing. I wanted to ask you, did that feel like a natural progression from the podcast into doing that as a, I mean, as a fairly full-time business for you, right? You're doing a lot of that. Yeah, it didn't feel natural at all. <laughs> so it was the weirdest thing. Like Brian and I were at NAM, and it was like winter NAM down the road from you. And people were like coming up and introducing themselves all over the place. And this one guy, I'll use his name, his name is Machine. He's this huge producer in the metal world. And Machine came up to me and was like, hey, I want you to be my business coach. And I was like, what are you talking about? And Brian was like, do it. <laughs> Charge him $300 for an hour of your time. And I was like, that's crazy. Also, I make way more than that as mastering engineer. Why would I do that? And I decided to go for it. And it was like the most fun thing ever. And a bunch of other people signed on too. It's funny. Like I enjoy mastering, but mastering is significantly less creative than trying to coach somebody because it's like, Hey, they've got this problem and they're here. They've got that goal and they want to go there. How do you help them navigate that? Yeah. With mastering, it's like, well, I'm going to use a multi-band compressor, a wide band compressor and a limiter and maybe a couple other versions of those. I do. I often do my EQ like in the compressor on a multi-band or on the limiter itself, which is why I didn't say EQ. Everyone's like, what are you talking about? But sometimes <laughs> sometimes I'll, I'll use an actual EQ as well too. But I, I tend to tend to do it at the limiting stage. I like to do it after I've compressed. But yeah, that's it's fun, but it's like I I'm only like changing my strategy like 10 to 15% in either direction each time I do it. With coaching, yeah. it's like, you know, I've got one guy that I'm working with in one capacity and another, you know, girl that I'm working with in a completely different capacity. And that's fun. And when I'm mastering, I'm distracted by my own problems. I'm focusing on me. I'm doing a job Mm. and I want this and I want that. And I want to feel satisfied in this way. When I'm coaching, it's just like, hey, I can ignore everything I want. 
and can just focus on them. And it's really nice. Like it's, <laughs> it's a fantastically, I want to use the word relaxing, but that's not the right word. When I'm coaching somebody, it's nice to be worrying about somebody else's problems rather than my own. Right. <laughs> I guess that's true. And I mean, you got to be, you got to be creative because everybody's got different issues yep. that they need to work through. And, you know, to help somebody discover what their issue is, because in any coaching capacity, whether it's a business coach or, or whatever it is, you can't tell somebody what the issue is. They need to figure it out. Yep. So you have to like, just kind of help them along the way. So that would be, would be fascinating. I'm sure you have a good time. It's a ton of fun, man. I'm definitely looking to do it a lot more. I'm getting ready to launch a course on systems. So we're... We're still working through names, but it'll probably be called the Faster Freelancer, and it'll be focused on. Uh, it's like a coaching program, so it's like a group coaching, and then I'll work through, you know, how to automate um, all your file importing, so you can do it with one click instead of like two hundred and seventy-five clicks. <laughs> yeah. So building that stuff like that and making so you know perfect examples like when I first started growing the mastering company. It wasn't uncommon for me to work for 25 people in a day. It was usually like one record, one EP, and then like 23 singles. And that might be samples or it might be paid singles. It, it tended to depend on the day. That's a lot of emails to send out at the end of the day. And so I figured out a way so that once I was done, I could push one button and everybody would get their files. It's awesome. All the emails would get sent out automatically. I didn't have to do anything. So this sort of spirit of the faster freelancer was like, for me... I just wanted to have dinner with my family. And I knew like if I learned how to build this stuff that I could cut out like three hours a day of oh yeah, like rendering each project while I sit there and wait and sending each file while I sit there and wait, downloading files from, the, from my website or from the customer's website or from the link that they sent me, like building it all out. So it's literally like you go on my website, you make a payment, the website asks you to upload files, you upload the files, the files show up in my to-do folder. Uh, me and my team get to work. Once it's all done, everything gets processed and sent to you. And it's a human touch. Like we're using human creativity. That's the, that's the real engine there. But we're removing everything that doesn't require human creativity so that we get into flow state faster. And it's kind of like, you know, building an Iron Man suit. Iron Man's still in control. He's still improvising and, and doing crazy stuff that you can't write code for in advance. Right. So that's, that, that's sort of been my goal with all my businesses is like, can I systemize it enough where my feeble brain can handle it? And as it turns out, that's good business. <laughs> so I'm going to teach totally. you to do that. Yeah. You have so many things going on. Are you a really strict scheduler? I mean, obviously you have systems helping you out. Are you like Monday is mastering day, Tuesday's podcast day? Like, how do you do your day? There are aspects um, that are that are very strict time-wise, you know, things that are scheduled and stuff like that. But, you know, for me, and I think, like, I say this not to advise other people to copy me. You got to keep in mind, like, I have a disability. And I have to work around that disability. And that disability doesn't stick to a schedule. So I might have, you know, three months that are great, and then have one day where something something isn't quite right and I'm I'm heavily distracted and I need to go do yoga or go work out or read a book. I need to do stuff to get my brain to shut the fuck up. 
Um, back to systems. Like if you were going to give, obviously you're about to do a course, so you, you probably don't want to tell people too many things. But if there was like one or two things that you were going to tell some producer or engineer to start with, like what's a, what's a hot tip for how to start saving you time Yeah, absolutely. or something to learn? Well, and this is good. I'll, I'll share everything because um, I'm still working on the content for the course. But what I would say is that the most important thing that you can possibly do is to schedule time at least once a week for at least an hour where you work on your business, not for it. And that means you sit down, you're not answering any client emails, you're not working, you're not like doing the service that you actually provide. You are just thinking about how can I be more efficient? And what this is what I did is I and I was, I was actually a little longer than that. So I scheduled Wednesday afternoons. So I wouldn't take any client work from Wednesday afternoon through the end of the day. And I would spend the whole of Wednesday afternoon figuring out either ways to systemize parts of my workflow with you know Apple Automator or Apple Script, or working on something on the website with a like a form that a client would fill out prior to having a project with me. And then that form would, would give me the information that I would inevitably be missing when I was planning on mastering their record that day and then couldn't because I didn't have that piece of information. Right. So I just started that scheduled once a week, work on your business, not for it. And the goal there was create time, not more sales, create more time. And as you create more time, you begin to schedule more time to work on your business instead of for it. And then eventually you you cross this threshold where the systems that you're building, especially if you're a maniac like me and spent all this time reading and researching how to do all this stuff, um, but your systems start to save you time. And all of a sudden you're like, like I'll never forget it be, me be, being like, um, it's Friday, I'm done for the week. I don't have anything to do today, but my business is growing at over 30% a year and I don't feel guilty that I don't have anything to do today. I know it's because I've been kicking ass this week. And that just started to happen more and more often. And eventually it was like, okay, well, I'm going to spend all day Wednesday working on my business. Okay, well, now I'm going to spend like Wednesday and Friday morning. And eventually, you know, you, you hit a threshold where things are good enough with your system. And then you just let that roll. And then your business grows and now your business is so big and there's so many clients that your system, which was designed to be 30%, to, to help you be 30% faster or to handle 30% more clients, wasn't designed to help you with 300% more clients. So then you have to rethink that system and you start the whole process over. And okay, we're right. rebuilding this, we're rebuilding that. Okay. And a, a good example of that is like when I built my first website, the developer and I never in a million years imagined that more than a thousand people would ever sign up for an account on chrisgrandmastering.com. And one day, our 1,000th person did sign up and the entire system broke. Because <laughs> <laughs> we, didn't, we hadn't accounted for that sort of growth. And yeah. it, it took forever for us to dig through the whole back end and figure out like, oh my God, okay, we need to, that's what was going on. And these sort of things would always happen Monday at 4.30, or Friday at 4.30. So I'd like call my developer and be like, I'm so sorry, the website's not working at all right now. I didn't change anything. And right. you would die. It was a slug fest. And we're still good friends. Um, amazing. <laughs> but does he still do your website? Well, I, I hired a full time employee um, who does all oh, okay. that stuff now. Okay. We are collaborating on other things at this point. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. 
Um, I wanted to kind of go back and tie in the, uh, if I build it, they will come along with your automation. Not business-minded Chris Graham, but musician Chris Graham. Mm. When you were doing that stuff, did you ever have a fear that you were removing the personal touch? Yes. And that... I was terrified about that. And yeah, what I found was that the absolute opposite of it was true. Once my systems for my business started to run really, really well, I'll never forget being on the phone with a client, which used to bug the hell out of me before. Where I was like, just, I, I'm good at this. Just give me the damn song. I'll master it and leave me alone. <laughs> and like, I would never talk like that to a client. But I remember I, was, I started to open up more to clients and to spend more time on the phone with them before and after the project. And then I started to enjoy it more because when 40% of your job is like relabeling files and making folders and dragging files and creating a template to work on your new project and you're doing all this stuff that stinks. And once I had automated all that out of there, my morale went through the roof and I loved what I, I loved my dream career again. And I think that's the, the case for most people that go off into creative freelancer world is it's their dream career. But then once they get busy enough, then it becomes their nightmare career. Yeah. And Chasing your passion. When your passion becomes your full-time job. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah. It's tough. So what a lot of people will do is their business will grow and they have not figured out how to systemize. And so they're still trying to run a business that was designed to make them $30,000 a year. That's now making them $70,000 a year. And that doesn't go well. It's a miserable existence. And when you start to build these systems, now all of a sudden you can do $70,000 a year part-time. And then, and then so the business has room to grow and you're better at sales and you're putting more personal touch because you're focusing on the craft instead of all yeah. the freaking shit that you have to do to get one project out the door. Like at least 40% of, of every creative's business that's not systemized, isn't creative. And my goal is like, make it 100% creative. And I find that when you do that, your quality of work dramatically improves. That was the case for me. I, I'll never forget, like, as I got better and better at systems, I started to notice, I was like, I'm turning out the best masters of my life. I didn't know awesome. I could be this good at it. And this consistent. I got to the point where I could take songs from... 20 different artists and master each of them individually. And you could pretty much put them on an album and it would flow together nicely as far as how each of them felt. My aesthetic of what I wanted was just, was nailing it because I could focus on not switching between right brain, left brain, right brain, left brain. I could just get in and be like, all right, right brain, do your thing. Have a ball, brother. It was the systems that allowed me to do that. Without systems, your quality goes down. The bigger your business gets, the worse your service gets because you hate it. And when that customer that you don't have a system for and he texts you at 1230 on a Friday night asking some random question and then gets pissed because you didn't respond, that's not, you know, that, that wasn't the dream career you signed up for. That's a nightmare. And yeah. as a result, come Monday morning, you're not looking forward to it. And I think that's the problem with most creatives is their dream career becomes their nightmare career because of a lack of systemization. Yeah. Well, you hit a you hit a point when you're super busy if you don't have systems that you just you're always chasing. Yep. Like, you know, at the end of the day, you're never done with that day. 
you're only like 70% done with that day. So you get 130% going the next day. You only get 70% of that going. I'm going to test my math. Now we're at 160% that, you know, I think that was right. We'll double check it in the edit. But um, yeah, so yeah, I, I'm all for that. I, I need to spend more time, like I need more dedicated business time because it once things spiral and get out of hand, it's just like you said, it just becomes so super hard. stressful. Yeah. yeah, once you're, because you're in a situation of like, I have to have free time and the only way for me to get free time is to turn down pain work. Right. Well, and that's a, that's a hard one that's for a, people to stomach. so hard. That is yeah. so challenging and so difficult. I mean, I turned down uh, working with a band that went on to win Grammys as a result of this, as a result of my lack of systemization. Oh, no. And it would have been the biggest client of my career. And I, I totally blew it because I just wasn't, I didn't have the capability. Oh, man. Well, let me talk about, you mentioned percentages. And I, I, I kind of think it'd be kind of cool to go a little farther down that road. One of the things that really changed my life as far as thinking about these systems for your business was I read um, something called Parkinson's Law. Yeah. If I'm correct, Parkinson's Law is also is called the 80-20 principle. Did I get that right? Or is it? No. That's Pareto principles Pareto's what you're thinking principle. of, right? Yeah. Parkinson's yeah. Law is however much time you have to finish a task, that's how long it's going to take you. Also true. Also true. <laughs> but Pareto's principle is that there's an 80-20 law at work. And the way this works is 80% of your clients create 20% of your headaches and 20% of your clients create 80% of your headaches. 20% of your clients make you 80% of your revenue and 80% of your clients make you 20% of your revenue. And when you start to look at that, the math gets real clear that what you need to do is, is fire the bad 80% and clone the good 20%. Yeah. In order to do that, you need systems to create the time to do that. But the systems will also work better when you have a really specific type of customer. When you're like, okay, well, I'm, I'm doing this sort of project. I've fallen into this sort of work. So I'm getting a lot of, you know, if you're a mix engineer and it turns out female vocalists, you're smoking good at it. So you start getting a lot of female vocalists. That's good because that lends itself to systems. Whereas like I've got a female vocalist today and a child vocalist the next day and, you know, a crooner, a male crooner from Alabama the next day. And everything's, nothing has, there's no overlap other than the, the use of microphones and cables, right? That's yeah. really, really hard to systemize. And when you start to lean into this 80-20 principle, so think about this. If 20% of your customers are making you 80% of your revenue, what happens if you can fire the other 80% of your customers over the long term and can 5x the number of customers that are like the customers that are making you 80% of your revenue? You can 5x your income. This isn't pie in the sky. I'm not like trying to sell this idea to anybody. This is, this is real, and there are tons of people doing it all over the world where they're where like, well, if we niche – and we focus on our most profitable segment of customers, we can 5X our income. That's what I did. That's it. That's seriously all I did is I figured out how do I make my 20% that are my most profitable? How do I get a lot more of those? And some of that was figuring out systems so that I could get my hourly up. So before I was yeah. like, hey, if I'm going to master a song, it might take me an hour. Now it doesn't take me anywhere close to an hour. To really go all in on a song is less than 15 minutes for me. Wow. And it's often less than that. It depends on the song. 
there are certain songs that really don't take any time at all. Where it's just like, okay, yeah. does the loudest part of the song sound good? Yes. Okay, it's ready. Like, that's it. <laughs> but there are other types of songs where like classical for me was always very difficult to systemize. Mm, so dynamic yeah. and there's it's so dynamic. Such a broad genre where it could be like a single flute or it could be like 200 people making a racket. Yeah. yeah. And that's complicated. But like folk rock records or hip hop records or gospel records, like, I, you know, I know that my philosophies and strategies are going to work every time on every gospel record because generally they're all in the same zone. Yeah. What do you say to the musician or producer that is like vomiting right now because you said to fire clients and, and turn work down? Because it's a tough one. I know I've talked with people about it. I've, we've talked about it. To turn work down is like in the music business feels so hard for people. It is. Well, and that's a really good question. I, I think, think about every great movie you've ever watched. Lord of the Rings or Star Wars or the Marvel stuff. You are in your own story and you are the hero of that story. And if you are going to prevail in that story, you're going to have to wrestle with the call. You're going to know that you need to do something. It might be that you need to systemize or it might be that you need to fire 80% of your bad customers or it might be that you need to jump into a different niche or it might be that you need to start only using software rather than hardware. You've heard the call and in every great story, there is a refusal of the call. There's a moment where the hero says, no, I'm not doing that. And you look at Luke Skywalker. He's training with Yoda. He gets a vision of Han and Leia. They're in trouble. He's like, i got to leave. i got to leave right now. And Yoda's like, no. And then even, even Obi-Wan Kenobi's ghost shows up and is like, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's this really weird thing where Luke pushes back and – What's interesting about that is Luke utterly fails. He goes to Cloud City. He gets his ass whooped by Darth Vader. He gets his hand cut off. Loses a hand. And by the skin of his teeth, he escapes. By the skin of his – he doesn't even know he's going to escape when he does it. He jumps. He would rather die than join Darth Vader, and he somehow survives. It's also conveniently the middle movie. Yeah, this is what happens in the middle. In the middle movie. And that's often <laughs> the case in, in these stories. But here's an interesting question. At the end of that movie, Leia has escaped, but Leia would have probably escaped anyways with Calrissian. And Han is encased in carbonate, carbonite. And would probably it would have probably worked out exactly the same if Luke hadn't come and had stayed in training with Yoda. But Luke learned something. Luke grew as a result of that experience, and that was how Luke eventually ended up beating the, the emperor and saving the day. But there's a refusal of the call. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Star, yeah. <laughs> Star Wars, that's your problem at this point. But same with, with the Lord of the Rings. There yeah. are refusals of the call. In the, in the book The Hobbit, which is one of my favorite books of all time, Bilbo gets invited to go with the dwarves to steal treasure from a dragon, and he has a panic attack and refuses to go. He literally has a panic attack, falls on the floor and starts shouting, struck by lightning, struck by lightning. He refuses the call, but then later on he accepts it. And so to yeah. answer your question, what do you say to the producers and mix engineers and everybody else where they're puking 
when they hear fire your your worst customers. Or even still, it could be they're puking because we're talking about systemization. And they feel like that removes some freedom from them. No, it, systems create freedom, brah. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of people refuse that call and never get back on course. And there's a lot of tragic stories of a lot. Like a tragedy is somebody who refuses the call. It doesn't end well. Yeah. You don't reach their potential. This is all really close to home for me because my – with my PTSD and unearthing all this repressed stuff I had going on, like there was a lot of refusal of the call going on there and me finally accepting like, okay, that did happen. That was my life and I'm going to own it. And I think for every freelancer, for every business owner, you're going to get these calls and sometimes you're going to say no to them. And it's, it, that's been one of the fun things as a coach is sometimes – I'm talking to somebody that I really want to coach and they refuse the call. I know, you know, it's like what, whatever it is that I'm charging them, I know that they will make their money back in like two months on that. Right. It's like you, you are so ripe for systemization. It's not even funny. And once we do this, you will have so much more time. It'll be so much more profitable that you'll pay for what you paid me based on the number of new projects that you can afford to take on so that you don't have to fire clients. Yeah. Yeah. Systems are interesting because they can take a nightmare client and make it a dream client. That's true. And that's an important component to this too. I think if you're puking, you should be asking yourself why. And then yeah. once you come up with a bullshit answer to that, <laughs> you should ask yourself <laughs> why again. And then just keep doing that until you have like a small seizure. <laughs> And what you're going to find is it comes back to your ego. Yeah. It comes back to what your mom thinks about you. It comes back to what your dad thinks about you. It comes back to wanting to win their approval. And, you know, there's probably some other stuff in there too. Everyone's different. You know, it might be grandpa in some people's case, or it might be Mrs. Kerbapel from fifth grade that told you you'd never amount to anything or whatever it happens to be. But you have to lean into that story and you have to understand why you re are revolted by certain aspects of turning your dream career into your dream career. Yeah. Well, I think that a lot of the things that people fight are somehow related to some false idea that they believe their peers won't approve of it, or they're comparing themselves to somebody else yep. who doesn't do that. And that person's successful and they don't do this system thing yeah. or whatever, whatever you're talking about, whatever your issue is, you can't, you can't lean so hard on comparison and peer approval, which is just such a thing in the music industry. Well, um, it's really unfortunate. Newsflash, peers don't pay you. <laughs> That's right. Customers That's why they're peers. You could be the laughing stock of your peers and still run a kick-ass business and be yeah. doing the work that you dream about. And it's important to point out that an awful lot of people have done that and then have won the approval of their peers much, 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 much more using the long game. I use Bob Clearmountain as an example one of the best mixed engineers that's ever played the game. He got his start, so I hear it. I've told this story a few times. By offering to do the rough mixes after the recording session, this is back when there was no such thing as a mix engineer, and the tracking engineer also was going to mix it as well. And right. they would hand Bob the tapes, and he would do the rough mix, and the band would fixate on it, and the rough mix would get released. And the job description mix engineer was born. Yeah, I would imagine at first people are like, what's that Bob doing? Crazy old Bob. 
that's not the way this industry works. When someone's telling you this isn't the way this industry works, you're onto something. You're onto something. That's I a, agree. That's the best thing you can possibly hear. And that happened yeah. to me, dude. When I first started my mastering company, I called up a really close friend of mine, a mentor, much older guy, much more experienced. And I was like, I'm going to build this website. It's got this before and after player. I'm going to try to get strangers to hire me. And he told me straight up, that'll never work. You should give up now. That'll never, ever work. And I still love this guy, but he was wrong as shit. (laughs) (laughs) And now, looking back, when he said that'll never work, that should have been an indicator of like, he wouldn't be passionate about trying to convince me that will never work. Yeah. If there wasn't an idol in there, if there wasn't a sacred cow. Yeah. Right. And there almost always is. There almost always is. And, and I think we, we as a society, we don't, the advantage, man, due to Travis, of us being like rock and roll guys, music people, is that we're willing to break the mold. We're willing yeah. to do something different. That's the beauty of the music industry the most. We've already done that. <laughs> yeah, we do it again and again and again, but then occasionally yeah. we collectively fall into a rut and we believe there's only one way to do things. And when you believe there's only one way to do things, that's when your art starts to suck. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I'm just, I, I could talk all day about this stuff. I'm fascinated by, I'm fascinated by it. I'm fascinated by how a creative's mind works, why a creative's mind is creative, why creatives are so obsessed with what their peers think, like why the starving artist thing, like. Is real, yeah. Yeah, it's like, bro, if, it's, if the artist is so good, they should be creative enough to feed themselves. Right? <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, yeah. If, that's, if, the, if that's not the case, if they are that good, if they are amazing, but they can't figure out how to feed themselves, there's another issue going on there. There's a mental health issue that's not being addressed there. And I, I use mental health very broadly. Not, they don't necessarily have PTSD or OCD or whatever, but there's something going on with the way they are letting themselves operate that's not at operating at peak capacity. They're not yeah, well, in some way. They think that they need to do that. You know, it's like, I remember when I came to LA, I didn't have a bed and I was like really excited to, to sleep on the floor. And I said that in like my introduction episode, it was like, yeah, I'm in LA, I'm sleeping on the floor. Like I had enough money to buy a bed, but I felt like I had to sleep on the floor and like put my beer in the sink because they didn't have a refrigerator. Yeah. But I, why, why? Yeah. And it's a strange, you know? it's a strange thing, man. This whole, like, I want to work myself and make art for a living for and help other people make art for a living. It's a strange and mysterious beast. And there are so many creative, uh, my friend Andy likes to use the phrase creative mythology. There are so many mythologies wrapped up in creativity. It's so interesting. It's so interesting to watch us as a species and take a step back and be like, okay, like, Perfect example, like, and I hope nobody gets mad at me for using this example, but like Insane Clown Posse has is this crazy band that has one of the most dedicated followings ever. And they're really different. I'm not like, a fan, but it's odd to me. And I'm not making fun of anyone in the Insane Clown Posse because this is every niche in music. Is it if yeah. you meet somebody that's a fan of Insane Clown Posse and they're wearing like the makeup, like the clown makeup. It's odd because they're saying, look at me. I'm unique like these other people. Unique like these other people. <laughs> I'm totally different than everyone else. I'm like these. I'm, it, it's, you're, you're not saying you're different. You're yeah. saying you're part of a minority. 
And those are those right. are two very distinctly different statements. And you know, with insane clown posse, it's like, well, Kiss did that before the whole face makeup thing. Like, it's not that revolutionary. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. There's just there's a lot to take home there to just begin asking ourselves why, why, why is it hard to give up a customer? Why do you have to sleep on the floor to pay your dues? Why does the opinion of your peers matter so much? It did 50 years ago. You weren't going to launch a business without like your peers getting you in. I didn't have anyone that helped me break into the mastering business. Yeah. I didn't, it wasn't like, you know, some major producer introduced me to all the right people. Like I, I went around it. I went direct to consumer and that's the beauty of these younger generations I'm like as old as you can possibly be and still be a millennial. I'm just turned 39, but I grew up with a computer. I had internet access yeah. for car keys and I would much prefer to find a new way to do things than to do the old tried and true things, which right now tried and true in a post COVID world with the internet and all the sorts of things. It's, you probably are better off on your own, figuring out some new way to do things so that you can present yourself to your customers as a one-off that nobody else does what I can do. And that's why I can demand the price that I demand. I have a monopoly on, in this area. Yeah, I, I, dude, I agree completely. Everything you just said, one of the things that uh, kind of sticks with me and it goes all the way back to the beginning is taking a step back and asking, why do I not want to turn a client down and why, why, why? And I, I think that I just want to hammer home to listeners that reflecting and looking at your situation and being able to objectively make decisions about what you're doing is so important because that's the only way to inflict change, you know? Yep. So inflict um, change, oh. inflict change. That's yeah. the mic drop right there, man. <laughs> I, love I love it. Let's wrap up. <laughs> uh, perfect. Um, but yeah, I, Chris, this has been an awesome conversation. I have one last question that I close every show with. Go if you've it. got two minutes to answer it, Right now, what is your current big goal and what is the next smallest step you're taking to go towards that goal? Oh my gosh, I'm so proud of you. That's such a good question. <laughs> um, my number one goal is to launch a course by June 1st, so a couple weeks from now. And the step that I'm doing uh, for that, the next small step that I'm doing for that is working on my assistant and I's to-do system so that I can effectively delegate and have some accountability where I can see, yeah, he is working on the right thing. And he can see, yeah, he is working on the right thing because we get distracted constantly. We're constantly running in a million different directions because there's like five businesses here and we want to grow all of them and just be creative all the time. But right now it's, it's become clear to me that the next step is launch this course, this coaching course. And, uh, you know, we're going to have, uh, we're not sure how many people it's going to be. I think it's going to be just 12 on the first batch of people. But yeah, we're super pumped about it. That's the next thing. That's awesome. Very cool. Do you want to share any websites or anything with people where they can find you? Yeah, yeah. So um, as far as the thing, I would pitch two things. From a business coaching standpoint, if you have too many customers and you're trying to keep all of them without firing them, you need better systems. If you don't have enough customers, you also need better systems. That might be a marketing system, or in the first example, it might be um, a service system. And there's a bunch of different types of systems. I'm going to talk about all those in my course. You can learn more about that at chrisgramcoaching.com. Uh, Graham like the cracker, G-R-A-H-A-M. And then uh, if you are a badass mix engineer 
who does a lot of bouncing, like my dude Travis Ferrance, then you <laughs> should go to bouncebutler.com and download the world's number one AI recording studio assistant. He'll do magical things like you can hand him 100 Pro Tools sessions and he'll bounce them all at whatever format you want and text you when he's done. Right, I got to jump in here. Well, that I it. bounced 63 sessions the other day. I almost sent you a picture of it. It was my, mo- my most bounces ever while doing a meeting with my contractor who's going to do build my studio in the back. So I was printing mixes and building a studio same time, all because of Bounce Butler. Unbelievable. <laughs> I, love, I love me some Bounce Butler. I love stories like that. When you, that's one of the things we need to get better at is hearing a story like that and then retelling it. Oh, it's such such a time saver. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you built that thing. It's epic. I love it. That's awesome. So, man. Um, but dude, this has been so much fun. There is there are so many things that we covered in there that this is exactly the conversation I wanted to have with you. So I appreciate you coming on. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. So that's it for episode 39. Thanks to Chris Graham for coming to hang out. Please check out everything he's been up to. If you are enjoying the show, please consider leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts, or better yet, send this episode to somebody you think needs to hear it. Also, I've got a Patreon set up for the show now. There's nothing fancy up there yet, but if that's your thing and you'd like to support the show, it would be greatly appreciated. And finally, don't forget to join us over at completeproducer.net. So I will see you next week.